Welcome to the Pearl Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message blesses you in a way that is inspiring, encouraging, and transformational. For more information about our church, please visit thepearl.church. We hope you enjoy this message. This morning, this morning for my message, I'm going to preach the entire genealogy of Christ. In 17 and a half minutes, um, sort of. I, I want to call this morning's message the gospel of Christmas. So we're in a Christmas series called the gospel or a, or a series called the gospel. And I'm doing the gospel of different different things. In other words, the gospel being the word for truth in this context, um, the truth about something. The gospel of Jesus is that he was born. Amen. Uh, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, period, full stop. Uh, We can try to make Christmas anything we want in the world today, but Christmas is uh, the birth of Jesus. That's what we celebrate. That's why we're here this morning. And uh, how many of you love Jesus, right? Okay. Uh, But I also want to, my subtitle is Welcome to the Family. I've had different ones or we're all a part of the family. Welcome to the family. Um, And I want to talk to you this morning about the family of God just for a minute and how the birth of Jesus impacted that. But let's go ahead and pray. And uh, we'll get to it. Father, I love you today, and I thank you for uh, the birth of your son, Jesus. Uh, I thank you, Father, that when he arrived on the planet, uh, our calendars around the world were set by his birth. I thank you, Lord, that, that, um, that he grew and, and revealed himself, and his life uh, set the stage for all of humanity to know you and understand you. And we're just grateful today. Uh, please, Father, I pray for all of us here today. You help us to just keep this about Jesus this this season. Uh, be be the Lord of our lives. Be the center of our traditions. And Jesus, we are so grateful. I pray for every church today in the Denver metro area. I pray, Father, you bless them. I pray for every song that is being sung, every Christmas carol. I pray for every person that comes through the doors of a church today that they would not just experience a building or a song, but the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus in our lives today. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. So when I was when I first became a Christian, when I first became a Christian, uh, it was in in about 1989, and uh, I started coming to church. And you know, one of the things that was hard for me with the background that I had was I just thought that everybody in the church was perfect. And then I started coming to church, and I found out it was true. And all of you are perfect. Part of, part of my thing was I didn't think I was good enough to go to church. So I thought everyone in church was perfect, and I thought all their families were perfect, and I thought, you know, their lives had been perfect. And then, you know, the other thing that I was always uh, sort of afraid of when I was going to church is that I thought that, I thought that people uh, would actually look at me and think that I wasn't good enough. So I didn't think I was good enough, and I thought maybe they didn't think I was good enough. So I'd go to church, and I'd, I'd feel really insecure, and I didn't have any friends, and I'd come in, and I'd think, man, all these guys have perfect lives, and I was always convinced that, you know, they, they're looking at me, and then, and then I'm looking at them, and then I found out that all Christians don't get along all the time. That was a shock. And then I found out they're, they're, they don't like each other sometimes. And I thought that everybody in the church loved each other 365 days a year until Christmas next year. And and then uh, I realized that, that we're all just one big family. And I realized the church is kind of like a big family reunion. Have you guys ever had a funny family, family reunion? I've had a few. But my, my memories as a child, some of the craziest memories that I have as a kid 
growing up was when our whole family got together. I mean, our family would get together. It was like make popcorn and get ready for the show, right? Uh, but I realized that, that none of us are perfect, and God's family is really made up of imperfect people, right? This is kind of why we're all here, to recognize uh, the birth of Jesus. Uh, and when, sometimes when you think of Jesus and you think of the church, one of the things that was hard for me was that I found out that Christians weren't perfect. The first time that I was offended, the first time I was hurt, somebody said something to me that kind of hurt me, and, and it was at my church, and I thought, man, people at church aren't supposed to talk to you that way. Those were difficult things for me, right? And then when you look even at the life of Jesus, uh, I thought that the entire Christian experience was a nativity scene. Um, I got asked to sing in a nativity scene one, well, thing once when I was a, a young Christian, and it was at a cemetery, Nobody wants to go see a nativity scene at a cemetery at Christmas. I remember get, getting there, and, and we all rehearsed for like a month for all these songs. And that was when I first met Donna. Donna was singing in this nativity scene with me. We're sitting there, and we're singing these songs, and the cars are supposed to f- uh, flood in. And, and they're supposed to, they got, they've got overflow parking ready, and they've got parking attendants at this place. And, and the clock's ticking down, and I'm thinking, wow. Because I'd never done this before. I'm thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. The people are going to come, but they're just late. Christians are late, I guess. And, and so here they come. And then it, we started, and there was one car in the parking lot with one, like, single guy. And he got out of his car, sat on the hood of his car, and watched us sing the nativity sing. And then at the end, there was this, there was this bucket, and you're supposed to take your your, uh, your canned goods that you brought to give away. And at the end, everybody pours out and puts things in this canned goods. So we got to the end, and the guy next to me looks at everybody, and he goes, for those of you who have brought canned goods, put them in the, uh, in the bucket as you leave. This was the most awkward moment of my early Christian life. This guy gets off the hood of his car, wa- wa- car walks up with some Campbell's soup, drops it in the bucket, and leaves. And I thought, man, the whole world is not a nativity scene. What's, what is going on? I thought Christians were perfect because Jesus in the Bible, Jesus seems to me as a new Christian, he, I thought everyone was perfect. But did you know that Jesus, in his family tree, he had some pretty jacked up branches. Come on, somebody. Jesus' family tree did not look like I thought it looked like because all the pictures of Jesus I'd seen was, you know, Mother Mary always holding the baby and her little thing is perfect and she looks serene. There's always light behind her head, right? And, and Joseph is just this really serene kind of peaceful, godly man. But in his head, he's thinking, my wife is pregnant. It wasn't me. What's going on? And, and, and these are the pictures that I had of what Christianity was like. But when you look at the Bible, it's just not that way. Uh, in the genealogies of Christ, let me just read you the first verse of Matthew chapter 1 as it, as it talks about the genealogy of Christ and then slowly it goes into the Christmas story. But it says, this is the genealogy, and everyone say out loud, that's me. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the genealogy of Christ. And then it goes down, and I was looking at some of these people, and I thought, man, these, some of these people are messed up. I didn't know that Jesus had messed up people in his family tree. You start looking at the, at the names. Verse 3, there's a guy named Judah. Judah was Joseph's brother. Joseph, the coat of many colors, you know, Joseph, all the children's story. But Judah was the guy, was his brother, and he wanted to kill him. He tried to kill him. He got all the brothers to say, hey, let's kill Joseph, because Joseph thinks he's going to be in charge someday. Let's kill him. 
And one of the others, the others went, no, let's just throw him in a pit to die. We don't want to kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. And if he sits there long enough, we'll sell him. Right? Well, Joseph, or Judah, is in the lineage of Christ. There's an attempt of murderer in his family line. And then you get down to the end, it talks about a lady named Tamar. We can't even talk about Tamar in church. It, it's PG-13 at best. We can't even talk about Tamar. And then you've got Perez, and it goes down, and it talks about Rahab. One of my favorite stories, people in Jesus' family tree, Rahab was actually a prostitute who lived in the wall of Jericho. And when, when Israel, when the soldiers were coming to destroy and to, to defeat Jericho, she hid the spies, and she helped them. She saved their life. She ended up marrying one of the generals, and her offspring, she became one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus. What an incredible story of redemption. And then you've got Ruth, and Ruth had some issues. We always think of Ruth as this, she kind of had some issues, you know, and so did Jesse, David's, and what about David? You never hear the dark side of David. You always see David with a staff out in a field, tending sheep, playing his guitar, because he was a creative, you know, and, and... <laughs> But David, David had an affair and had a baby with this woman, and, and then the, the baby died, and then he actually killed, he actually murdered her first son, King David. That's the dark side of David. David was kind of messed up, right? But the woman that he had an affair with, his child became one of the great, 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 great grandparents of the Lord Jesus. Then you get down here, and, and we see Solomon. We think of King Solomon. He wrote the Proverbs. He was so wise. The wisest man in the whole world screwed up the entire nation of Israel. He was so abusive and so harmful and hurtful that 10 of the 12 tribes peeled off, and they ended up not getting along for several generations. He was so messed up. And then you get down here, and you've got this... Uh, well, we could, we could go on, but you, you understand that this family tree does not look like the family tree that I thought it looked like. It looks like us. It looks like you and me. Jesus, when he came to the earth, he didn't come to the earth for perfect people. He came to the earth all those many generations ago, actually between you and between Jesus and us, um, there are 70, 74 generations or so? Could you imagine if you took all 74 to 80 generations and put them all in a big family reunion? Get some popcorn. It looked like us. So the, the birth of Jesus represents not Jesus coming for perfect people, but Jesus coming for imperfect people who know that they need God, right? So just three, three quick things this morning. What should the birth of Jesus tell us? Number one, it should tell us that we are reminded that no one is perfect. No one is perfect. Nobody. Jesus did not come for perfect people. Have you ever been at home watching a movie uh, with a bunch of friends and all of the lights are out for like two hours and then somebody comes in and turns the light on? What do people do? My teenage daughters used to dive under a pillow. The light comes on, everybody hides their face. They're not hiding their face because the light is hurting their eyes. They're hiding their face because they look funny after being in the dark so long. I don't care who you are. The longer you sit in the dark, the funnier you look. You just start to look funny. All your imperfections come out. Your skin color changes. And your eyes are all dilated. Your, your hair is all messed up. And, and the light comes on and everybody hides their face, right? 
Well, when Jesus came back, he came back, he was born. The Bible says that he turned on the light after 400 years. And I'm telling you that humanity, after 400 years in the dark, had some blemishes, had some problems, had some things that they didn't want to face. You don't want to face it, and I don't want to face it, but Jesus faced it. And what happens is with Christ is that we realize that because none of us are perfect, why did Jesus come back? He came back to help us with all of those imperfections. But the truth is, is that if Jesus didn't, wasn't born for everybody. He wasn't born for anybody. And there's no middle ground. Jesus is, either came for everyone or he came for no one. And so all of us in this room, we just have to believe that Jesus came for us and all of our imperfections. That's what the birth of Jesus represents. And then number two, the other thing it represents is that once you realize that none of us are perfect, you realize that there are no variable, there are no variable statuses in the kingdom of God. Becoming a child of God and recognizing Jesus is not like getting like a better elite card from a credit company. Have you ever noticed that if you put, if you take any card and you make it black with gold writing, you think you're more elite? I remember when I first got saved as a Christian, our first church, the church used to give out membership cards, actual membership cards. And I took the card one day. I was so excited I got it. I didn't know what it, what it meant. But I got a card. So I went to the bookstore. I walked into the bookstore, and I bought a book, and I put my card down. And she said, what's that? I said, it's my, it's my membership card. She says, what's that for? My discount? She goes, oh, there's no discount for being a member. I said, well, what do I get for being a member? She goes, I don't really know. Do you remember when Costco came out with the executive card? They came out with the executive card and they made it black. And all it means is that you can buy 10 pounds of gummy bears at 8 a.m. instead of 10 a.m. <laughs> they just went, hey, if you want to come early and shop, we'll make you an executive and we'll give you a black card. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still waiting for Sam's Club to do that. I, I want Sam's Club to come out with a black card with gold writing. Imagine, you, you're standing in line at Sam's card, you have 300 organic chicken breasts, uh, and, and you walk up to the line, and you, you're paying, and you pull out your black executive elite status Sam's Club card. And as you're paying, you take the card out, and you lay the card down in, in front of the, the lady, and she looks at you, and she says, oh, you have elite status at Sam's Club. And you look at everybody in the line, right? Like, hey, uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? She goes, you get your hot dog for 50 cents today. And you're like, <laughs> right? There's no, there's no elite status. There's no, there's no like, membership in, in that sense. See, God only has children. He doesn't have members. And the hard part about the kingdom of God sometimes is that God has children who think they're members and churches have members who have forgotten their children. And if we, if we think that church is a membership, that Christianity is a membership, or if we think that going to church allows us certain things, I just got news for everybody. There's no elite status in the kingdom of God. God just has children. And you know what our last name is? Humanity. We're one big giant family, and the last name of our family is humanity. And he came for all of us equally. Because if he didn't come for everybody, he didn't come for, for anybody because then there would be partiality. And then the third thing that Jesus' birth really needs to represent is that we're not alone. 
See, there was 400 years in there where God did not speak to his children in anything new between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and people were waiting, and they felt alone. I think that loneliness is one of the most difficult things to go through. I've known people who have been lonely for all kinds of reasons, and loneliness is a difficult thing to go through and to deal with. But God wants us to know with the birth of Jesus that no one is ever truly alone. Now, how many of you started watching Christmas movies in February? I rebuke you. I bind you. How many of you are early Christmas people? How many of you started getting ready for Christmas in like July? You were celebrating with like the Australians. Come on, right? Christmas in July or something, right? Well, you know, in our, in our house, my son, my son loves Christmas. He really does. And my, my wife, they all love Christmas, but my wife loves Christmas and my son loves Christmas. And so I think, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, uh, uh, maybe six, seven weeks ago, we were, my wife and I were on a trip, and Kai texts us, and he says, hey, can I put up the Christmas tree? <laughs> and then he clarifies, I won't put the decorations on it, but I want to put the tree up. Now me, feeling, you know, like that's part of my manly thing is to put up the tree. That's why I bought a fake one. And... Um, <laughs> With lights that light up when you just put it together, they come on. It's like the Christmas miracle. Um, we said, yeah, go ahead and take that. So we, we start early. But our official, official Christmas start is at the end of the Thanksgiving meal. As soon as Thanksgiving is over, my family, we have some coffee. We have our thing. We do our dessert. We all go to the living room, and we watch the movie Elf. Now, you may not think that's very spiritual, but you just need to look deeper, okay? Um, <laughs> We watched the movie Elf, Elf, and um, that's the beginning of the Christmas season for our family, and our family knows half of the lines, you know, in the movie now after all these years, you know, goodbye, buddy, hope you find your dad, you know, my whole family, no matter where they are in the house at the time, you can hear everybody go, bye, buddy, hope you find your dad, you know, one's upstairs, <laughs> one downstairs, right? But there's another movie, there's another movie that's not official in our family, but it's, it just happens in, in the Christmas season, like I can't stop it, and it's the movie Home Alone. Home Alone has always been one of my favorite movies, especially back in like it was, it came out in 1990, and I remember watching it thinking, this is so funny, but now I'm an adult with children, I'm thinking that movie is disturbing. <laughs> it's disturbing. I mean, do you think about it? A family who basically locked their child in the attic, gets on a plane, and takes off to another state and leaves him there. And the kid's not going to be damaged for life? Come on, right? And then the way that they talk to each other in the movie. Have you ever been moms and dads? You've been watching a movie with your kids? And the parents and the kids are like fighting on the movie. And, and Macaulay Culkin's in the movie, and he's like, oh, I hate you. You know, I hate you all. I remember one time that just, and I looked at my children, I said, you will never say that to anybody in this house. And then when they were little, we'd watch movies, and my kid would watch, and the, the parents were bad on a movie, and my kids would look at us like, oh, no. Oh, I that. I'm not going to do that. I promise. I promise. Me, you'll never do that. I promise. Home Alone's a disturbing movie. There is a moment where the police officer comes through the door. And he's looking around. He's not really. He's a, he's a fake police officer. And he's trying to find out if they're going on vacation so he can rob the house. So he comes in with his police uniform on. And there's like 20 kids running all over the place. And, and aunts and uncles. and he can, No one's saying anything to him. And he's like, hey, are you the parent? No. Are you the parents? No. Are you the parents? No. 
where's your parents? Don't know. Are you the parents? And then finally he goes, of course you're not the parent. He's, he's standing in the lobby and he goes, all these children, no parents. And then in just a few more scenes, you have, or a couple more scenes, you have Macaulay Culkin wakes up and, and his family's gone. And he goes, no. He goes, I made my family disappear. Right? But in, in, the, in the kingdom, now, it's somewhat, sometimes in my life, I felt like I made my family disappear. Has anyone here ever made a mistake in a relationship? Can I see a hand, please? Oh, look, like a thousand hands. Surprise. You know, I, I, uh, I've made some, sometimes I think it's me. Sometimes it's them. But this whole movie is predicated on this idea that the more mistakes we make, we are driven farther apart. But the way that God treats us is that the more mistakes we make, the closer he gets. 400 years of darkness, we all look funny. The world is, um, is upside down. Baby Jesus lands, he cries, the light comes on. We all see our mistakes. We all see our imperfections. And Jesus said, see, I told you, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I was the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have to remember that none of us are perfect. Nobody. We have to remember that there's no elite status in the kingdom of God. It just doesn't work that way. He only has children. He has no grandchildren. And God came close to us to tell us, hey, you've never really been alone. One of the moments in my life, now I know there's visitors here today and you don't all know my, my testimony. But the most alone moment in my, in my life was when I was about, I was about 18 years old. Maybe 17 and my family had been through a hard season, and I actually left home. And actually, for a little while, I lived in my car at 17 years old. And I remember one day sitting in my car, got my backpack and my, my little suitcase, my little Nike thing, and I'm like, I got to find a friend to go stay with. And, you know, it was a horrible moment. And I remember sitting there thinking, I have never felt more alone in my whole life. Where's my mom? Where's my dad? Where's my family? Where's my friends? I don't have, I don't have any of this stuff. And you know what? I had had some friends that were kind of witnessing to me. Witnessing is that word for relentlessly telling me about Jesus, you know, and how the plan he had for my life. And, and uh, I didn't believe him. As a matter of fact, one of my friends um, is a pastor and other pastors. She witnessed to me every day probably or every week through my entire high school career. This incredible uh, lady, her name's Michelle. She'll probably hear this. She was always telling people about Jesus, right? And I was always like, no, no way. You people are weird. You think you're better than me, you know? I'm, if I walk into the church, lightning will strike, and that'll be the end of it. You don't want me in your building. Well, fast forward years and years, my wife and I went to a, a reunion. Hadn't seen her. I think it was our 10-year reunion. Hadn't seen her in 10 years, but she had heard that I had become a youth pastor. And that we were recording music and we had a conference, all this stuff. And I remember walking in one day, she's sitting at the table, and I was looking around for a place to sit because I didn't want to sit by her. And I was feeling so guilty. Like she got me, you know? And there's no, there's no seats in the entire building except for the two seats next to her and her husband. So I saw her and I walked across the room with my head down, walked in, sat down. She goes, mm hmm. Right? I, I, re I remember sitting in my car thinking, what is going on in my life? 
And I heard the audible voice of Jesus speak to me. He, all he said was, you're not alone. You're not alone. And, you know, it wasn't like a big sermon. It wasn't no one preaching at me. It wasn't anybody witnessing to me, inviting me. to. It was just the voice of God. I felt like you're not alone. And, you know, that voice saying you're not alone was enough to take me on a journey. It was enough to walk me through the next few years of my life until I found out the name of the person who had spoke to me, and his name was Jesus. So we're not perfect. There's no elite status, and we're never alone. That's what Jesus wanted us to know. That's when he, when he was born. That was the message that he would bring to a world. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now we're going to pray, and then the kids are going to come through, and all of you are going to pray for no injuries. I don't know how many kids there are, but we're just going to believe God today, okay? But here's what I want to do. Um, as we close this part of the service, I want you to stand with me, if you would, and I'm going to pray for you. And as you stand, I'd like you to bow your head, close your eyes, and uh, let me ask you a question. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, the question is this. Is there anyone here this morning that has felt distant from God? Is there anyone here that's felt separated from God or distant from God? For whatever reason it is, I don't, I don't, it could be a number of reasons. Maybe, maybe you were like me and you thought that you weren't good enough or maybe you thought other people judged you or maybe you've just never been in a, a room full of people who love God and love people. But is there anybody here this morning that has felt distant from God? Because I want to pray for you. When Jesus was born, he was born for you. He was born for you. He was born for me. Equally, regardless of where we come from, what language we speak, tall or short, black or white, rich or poor, he came for all of us to draw near to us, to let us know and he brought us love, he brought us a message, he brought us hope, he brought us salvation. We're not really alone. So is there anyone here, one of my count to three, is there anyone here that has felt distant from God and lonely? When I count to three, just slip your hand up quickly and I'm gonna pray for you. One, two, three. Who is that? Thank you. There's probably a hundred hands. Keep them up just for a second. Let me just see you. Let me just see you. The Lord wants you to know you're not alone. You are not alone. He loves you. Father, I pray for every person here that has their hand lifted. I thank you, Jesus, for the grace and the goodness of God. I thank you, Father, that, that when you were born, when Jesus was born, he came to tell us that we're not alone anymore. He came to forgive us of all of our sins and our mistakes. You came here, Jesus, to eliminate and get rid of status. And Lord, you, you, you took the high places and made them low. The Bible says you take the low places and you bring them high and you even it out because we're all in the same boat. And I thank you, Father, that you're with us today. I thank you, Jesus, that you're with us today in our families and our friends and our relationships. I pray, Father, that as we go into the holidays, whether that it's, a, it's a difficult time for some and a joyous time for others, I pray for a supernatural, wonderful peace of God through the holidays, even if it gets difficult because we're not alone. We're not doing it alone. And I'm grateful, Jesus.
So church, cross the room. I want you to pray this with me out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you came to earth for me, just for me, because you love me. And today, Father, I just ask you, forgive me of every mistake I've ever made. If you came for me, you came for everybody. Father, we celebrate you today and the birth of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, come on, clap for Jesus one more time, if you could. And uh, come on, a little louder, people. Come on, let's tell Jesus we love him today. I love you. You're amazing. God bless you.